Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you may hear your word this morning with joy. Our first reading this morning is coming from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I would say, rejoice. Let your, your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Our Hebrew scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who have brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? 
Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. There is a book that has been sitting on my desk for months now, ignored and unread. This poor, sad little book. And it's not that I am putting it off for any specific reason. I just didn't get to it. It's written by someone I like, too. It has nothing to do with the author. In fact, um, the author of this book was one of my professors in seminary, who I took enough classes from, my advisor finally told me I wasn't allowed to take any more of his classes. <laughs> so it's just that I've been busy. And so finally, on Monday this week, my guilt got to me, and I picked it up. The book is called What We Need Is Here. It's by L. Roger Owens, and I highly recommend it. I've already finished it. In fact, I picked it up on Monday and finished it last night. And I even ordered a few used copies to share with any of you who are interested. You can come see me after the service if you would like to borrow one. I put some information about it at the back of the sermon manuscript this week as well, if you would prefer to get it on your Kindle or your Nook. As I began reading this this week, I realized that the first line of the book was perfect for this week's scriptures. You see, sometimes God works in spite of, or perhaps through, my procrastination. The first line of the book says, St. Augustine was right when he said that our hearts are restless until they rest in God. This whole book is about practices that help us to grow closer to God. It's about focusing and getting rid of the distractions around us that prevent us from having the relationship with God that we were intended to have. Most people I know seem to have a genuine interest in deepening their spirituality. So why is it that we don't spend more time in prayer, or in silence, or reading the Psalms? I know that in my own life it's been primarily because it's just too darn much work. It takes a long time to see any results. And there are so many things that seem more interesting and important and appear to have a more immediate effect on my life. And after a busy day, I want to turn my brain off, not make it work harder in a different way. I just want to sit around and watch inane sitcoms on TV, not try to meditate or focus on the Psalms. And perhaps, ironically, one of the reasons Roger's poor, neglected book sat on my desk for so long is because I just didn't feel like taking the time and energy to invest in it when I had so many more immediate tasks staring me down. Friends, this is just part of the human condition. This is how we are. Sometimes we are lazy, 
Sometimes we are easily distracted. Sometimes we are impatient. Sometimes we are all of these things all at once. The problem with this is that when we let our laziness and our distractibility and our impatience run the show, God gradually slides down on our priority list as we put other easier to attain, easier to see, faster to arrive things higher on our list. We feel like we need something concrete, something we can touch. These are things like our careers, our hobbies, our own sense of importance or busyness, the appearance of having it all together, our finances, for good or for bad, our lawns, our closets, our sense of safety, our resume. And often we do this in the name of being a good person or being a good Christian. We say we're doing this because God wants us to live a good life. We take our idols and we slap God's name on them and we say we did this for you, God. When the Israelites asked for gods to go before them, they wanted something that looked like God to be there with them so they wouldn't forget. Something like this. And they set it right there where God was meant to be. And then they planned a feast to God. They didn't say that God wasn't there anymore. They just made up their own version of God that fit their own timeline and desires. On page 15 of what we need is here, it says, or rather asks, what does it mean to say that Jesus is enough? The Hebrews said that God is enough, and yet they built an idol in God's place. We say that Jesus is enough, and yet we put so many other things in Jesus' place. The problem is that in building this idol and making God in the image that they wanted to make God, the Hebrews broke the covenant that had been established with them. Before the commandment, you must not put anything before God even made it down the mountain. They had broken it. It's ironic, isn't it? The command about keeping God first in our lives didn't get to people fast enough, so they put their own agenda and timeline ahead of God, thereby breaking that commandment. And God was not pleased by this. And of course, God knows exactly what the people have done. And he tells Moses, these people never change, and that is going to go very, very badly for them. But Moses loves his fellow Hebrews and doesn't want to see them destroyed. So, being close to God, they were, after all, just hanging out together on the top of Mount Sinai. Moses prays and implores God to remember the covenant, which, of course, God does. God still keeps covenant with the people, even when the people wander off. God is always looking for a reason to redeem God is about redemption, not destruction. And even when it was just Moses begging for redemption while none of the other people got it, God granted it. One person out of all of them. 
Just one. There was only one of them who spoke to God, who prayed, who sat in the presence of God, who took time on the mountain, a very long time. When all the others had turned and allowed their own desires and impatience shape and mold God into a very small God in their minds, Moses stood faithful. I wonder if we can ever fully learn to appreciate the prayers of those who have prayed for us and with us and beside us, even when we have wandered off and made a golden calf for ourselves and tried to pass it off as God. I wonder sometimes if we can ever fully learn to appreciate the gift of God's redemption and grace in our own lives. We cannot stand firm in God and keep our focus alone. There are no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. You can't be spiritual and not be in community with other people. We have one another to lean on for encouragement and for motivation. We need to be there for each other to point to God and say, keep your eyes there. Our focus matters. We don't pray and meditate and spend time with God because that makes us some sort of extra saved person. It doesn't earn us brownie points in heaven. It doesn't earn us our way into God's good graces. We do it because it changes us for the better. Tuesday night, I was at a PERC meeting. This is a support group that Hope Aftercare runs for ex-offenders and the people who support them, their family, their friends, their mentors. And at the beginning and end of each meeting, we recite a quote that some of you may have heard before. Our thoughts become our words. Our words become our actions. Our actions become our habits. Our habits become our character. And our character becomes our destiny. You see, we meet there as a group because people need one another in order to live out healthy, faithful lives. I have dear friends and family members who are involved with NA and AA, and they meet with those groups because they need other people to support them in order to live out healthy lives. We meet as a group here for that same reason. Like Paul's co-workers, Yudia and Suntuche, we need encouragement to stay the course doing God's good work. We need to surround ourselves with those who will say, may the peace of Christ be with you, and who will pray with us and encourage us in our spiritual practices so that we all grow closer to God and to one another. Focus on God is central to a healthy church community, where our focus is, that is the direction we will move in. And if our focus isn't all on the same thing, we will all be moving in different directions. I swear to you that Roger did not bribe or coerce me into talking so much about his book this week. But if you want a really great place to start off on refocusing on God, start with this book. As a community, when we focus on God and God alone, the possibilities are limitless. God will lead us in directions we never could have expected, 
sending us on the adventure of a lifetime. God doesn't care that we focus on God and God alone, because God is some sort of cosmic narcissist. God cares that we focus on God and God alone, because that is the only way we will ever fully be able to grow closer to God, to acknowledge the new creations that we are in Jesus Christ, to reflect Christ in our actions and our way of life, and to spread the good news of the gospel to all those around us. Amen.